Amen. Thank you, choir. Good morning, church. Let us take our Bibles and turn together to the New Testament, to the book of James. Right past the book of Hebrews, we find the book of James, and we're walking through this great little book, so practical and so applicable to the Christian life. And so much of what we learn in James is teaching us how to live by faith. And we've learned about how to respond to the trials of life, how God allows trials to come our way to teach us to stand firm in our faith, to draw closer to Him. Our enemy is attacking us by temptation, which is designed to cause us to stumble in our faith and actually draw away from the Lord. We've looked at how we respond to truth and how truth affects our lives and how we're not merely hearers of the Word, but we are doers of the Word and how that is fleshed out as Pastor Jesse taught us last week in the relationship between what it means to have a faith that is in Jesus Christ alone in salvation and yet a faith that doesn't merely stand alone as we are the saved men and women of God. And now James is just going a little bit uh, on a practical level through a passage of Scripture that hits home to all of us. And here's why. None of us can say today that we have nothing to learn when it comes to the classroom of Tongue Management 101. And that's what this text is about. Every one of us in this room have our own little weapon of mass destruction. And it's called the tongue. Right? My grandson James is 10 months old. He soon will be learning how to talk, although he can already say Kentucky basketball is the greatest in the world. <laughs> now, he says it in an unknown tongue, but I know that's what he's saying. Right? It will take my grandson about two years to learn how to talk, and then it will take him the rest of his life to learn how to control his tongue. The power of speech is one of the greatest powers that God has given us. It is with our tongue that we can give praise to God, that we can sing so beautifully and so eloquently to the glory of God. It's with our tongue that we can publicly read the Word of God. That we pray and that we preach. It is with our tongue that we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is with our tongue that we make that declaration that makes us the redeemed people of God. When we say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I will follow Him from this day forward for the rest of my life. It is also with the tongue that we can ruin our own reputation as well as the reputations of others. Now, 
the Christians that James wrote to were apparently having some problems with tongue management. And what he actually does in this passage of Scripture, like he does in many other places, is he mimics the book of Proverbs. Right? He mimics what Proverbs says when it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Sean Tui from the Blindside fame, whose family, as you know, adopted Michael Orr, who was an offensive lineman at Old Miss, went on to play for the uh, world champion Baltimore Ravens. His story is that he was adopted by this family in Memphis, brought out of a life of poverty and almost certain death. And Sean Tui um, made this statement. He said, Two words changed my family's life forever. He said, When my wife Leanne saw Michael Orr walking down the road on a cold November night, she said two words. She said, Turn around. And those two words made the difference between life and death for Michael Orr. When you were a child and you were in a Bible study class or maybe you sat on the steps in a listening to a little children's message, right? And, and you've seen this example. I, I think I've probably used this example here at this church before where someone takes a little plate and they take a tube of toothpaste and they squirt that toothpaste onto the plate, right? And then they say to a child, now will you put the toothpaste back in the tube? And they're like, it can't be done. And so it is with the words that we speak. Here is what James is teaching us today, and it is very simple. You have to live tomorrow with the words that you say today. You and I have to live tomorrow with the words that we say today. Just like we're living today with things we may have said or done in years past, so we will live tomorrow with the things we say and do today. And that's why this message from James is so critical to every single one of us. That's why it is so imperative that we get it. You will, on average, we are told, have 30 conversations a day. You will spend one-fifth of your life talking. On average, your mouth will open 700 times a day to speak. You will speak 20 to 30 thousand words a day and in one year your conversations will fill up over 60 books that are 800 pages long. We are a verbal people and our God is a verbal God and he has spoken to us he has spoken to us, the Bible itself says, in many times and in many ways. And in Hebrews it says, in these last days he has spoken to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has spoken. 
to us in salvation. And His name is Jesus. But dear ones, do not miss this fact. God has also spoken to us about our sanctification, about our holiness once we come to know Jesus Christ. And that's what this text is all about. So what is James teaching us that Andy Green read for us earlier? Well, a couple of things. Number one, that words reveal that we are not fully sanctified yet. Your speech and my speech, your words and my words reveal that we are not yet fully sanctified. We are not yet standing in the presence of Jesus, clothed in His perfect righteousness. Until we reach that point, we are still fleshing out, learning to flesh out what it means to walk in the beauty of the gospel, what it means to walk in the righteousness that Christ has earned for us by his death and resurrection on the cross. And so James begins by saying, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Right, So James began, he starts out this discussion by saying not many believers should become teachers. Now why in the world would he say that? Why, why in the world is he um, not encouraging everyone to step into this leadership role? Well, it's because of the responsibility that teachers have to take on. And James is saying it is because of that responsibility that you will be judged more strictly. Do you know as a pastor, I know when I stand before God and give an account of my life, I will give an account for the way that I have taught God's word. If you're a Bible study teacher, the same is true of you. It is a stricter responsibility that we take on. It is what that great theologian Uncle Ben meant when he said to Peter Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. And this is true of Christians. Right? Teachers provide instruction, mainly in just how we live out our faith. How we flesh out what it means to be a Christ follower. How we walk with Jesus in the day-to-day living our lives reflecting Him to the world. And so there are serious responsibilities. There are serious dangers that come with the office of of teacher. And that's why, in fact, James follows it up in verse 2 by saying we're not fully sanctified yet. The word stumble that he uses means sin. In the present tense, it suggests a repeated stumbling. Literally, it says, we all stumble many times in many ways. So we should be cautious as teachers who will stand before God and give an account. Your words and mine give evidence that we are not yet fully sanctified. Then James, through some very practical illustrations, says that our words may seem minor, but the truth is they have massive consequences. Our words may seem minor, but they are actually massive. 
in terms of their consequences. And he gives three examples to make his point that words are powerful, that words can steer us in one direction or another. So he uses the example first of the horse's bit, right? He describes this image of the the horse's bit. You've got this huge stallion, this 2,000, 3,000 pound horse. And it's all directed by a 95 pound jockey sitting on its back. The jockey can control the tremendous mighty horse by a little piece of metal that is placed in the horse's mouth over his tongue. You see, your tongue influences the direction of your life. He speaks in verse 4 of a ship's rudder. Right, So he speaks of a, uh, we, we see the image of an ocean liner weighing thousands and thousands of pounds directed by only a small rudder so that even in the midst of storms, the rudder is what continues to guide the ship. For example, the USS Lauderdale is a huge ship. It is 563 feet long. It is complete with a helicopter pad and torpedoes and missile launchers and yet it is just a small rudder that guides the ship. Here we see a picture of the symphony of the seas this is the largest cruise ship in the world it is 1,184 feet long it can accommodate 6,680 passengers as well as a crew of 2,200 there are 16 decks for guest use The Symphony of the Seas has 22 restaurants, 24 pools, a children's water park, a full-size basketball court, an ice skating rink, and two 43-foot rock climbing walls. There is a spot on the ship called Central Park, and it contains over 20,000 tropical plants. And that ship is all under the control of a small rudder. You see, your words control the direction of your life. Your words reveal where you're headed. Your words reveal the direction of your heart in your devotion to Christ. In verse 5, James speaks of a beautiful forest with tall, beautiful trees. And then one minute, it's up in smoke as this image from the Smoky Mountains just a few years ago. The Smokies. Destroyed instantly by a little tiny match. And here is James's point. Like a horse or a ship turning left or right, so the tongue can lead us in different directions. And like a forest fire, a few poorly chosen words can have significant 
impact. So James says our tongue, he says our words are like a fire. So it can corrupt us and send us in the wrong direction. Even, James says, a direction that leads to hell. Wow. James holds back nothing. Words are powerful. And they may seem minor at the moment, but they have Massive consequences. Let me give you, if I might, for just a moment, a little history. In 1899, four newspaper reporters from Denver set out to tear down the Great Wall of China. And they almost succeeded. The four met on a Saturday night at the Denver train station. And apparently what they would do is hang out at the train station and wait for popular people or TV movie stars, people to show up, and then they would write about them the next day in the newspaper. So these four reporters met at the Denver train station. Al Stevens, Jack Tornay, John Lewis, and Hal Wilshire represented four Denver newspapers. The Denver Post, the Denver Times, the Denver Republican, and the Rocky Mountain news. And so they were all there at the station looking for something to report on and they had nothing and they were a little frustrated and so they walked over to the Oxford Hotel and they sat down and had a beer together and they began talking about you know what story could they give to their editors to get their editors off their backs and so over a round of beers they came up with a story that they all could use. And so by the time they got to about their third round of beers, they decided that they would write about China, which was far enough away that they thought, you know, nobody's going to fact check anything that we say. And so one of the men leaned forward and said, let's try this on. We've got a group of American engineers stopping over in Denver en route to China because the Chinese government is making plans to demolish the Great Wall and our engineers are going to go over and bid on the job. And so one of them asked, well, why would the Chinese government want to destroy the Great Wall? And the other one thought for a minute and said, well, they're going to tear down the wall to symbolize international goodwill. They're going to open up their country to foreign trade. And so they had another round of beers. And by 11 o'clock that night, they worked out all of the details of their fake story. Even so much as walking over to the Wilshire Hotel and signing four fictitious names to the register to help back up their story. So all four Denver newspapers carried this story on their front page. Great Chinese wall doomed. Peking seeks world trade. Now the problem is that the story was taken seriously. It was picked up by other major newspapers, even newspapers abroad, and eventually it landed on the desks of some Chinese government officials who learned that the Americans were sending a demolition crew to tear down their national monument and they became enraged. People in China became so upset, especially a group of volatile Chinese patriots who were just looking for something to feed the fire of what was burning in their hearts. And so inspired by this story that four men over a a, a group of beers wrote. And so a group of Chinese 
patriots tore apart the foreign embassies in what we know of as Beijing. And they savagely slaughtered hundreds of missionaries. In 12, let me back up, in two months, 12,000 troops from six other countries had to come in and invade China for the purpose of protecting their own countrymen. The bloodshed that followed, sparked by four beer-buzzed reporters in a Denver hotel, became the international conflict known as the Boxer Rebellion. Words seem minor, but they have massive consequences. By the way, it's been over a hundred and almost 120 years since that event transpired. Have we learned our lesson? Did we not listen to ABC News this week? Put an image, you know, on the screen as the story was entitled Slaughter in Syria, where they took video from a 2017 Knob Creek, Kentucky nighttime shooting range and claimed that it was Turkey bombing Kurdish civilians in a Syrian border town. I've been to the Middle East and I lived in Kentucky and they are nowhere near the same. I think the answer is very simple. Dear ones, we, you are never, and I, we are never going to outgrow our need to hear God speak into our lives on this issue. So James concludes by simply saying words cannot be tamed, words cannot be restrained. Right? So they have to be restricted by the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. If I can't tame my tongue, if it is this restless evil that the Word of God says that it is, if I can't tame it, right? if I can't restrain it, then what do I have to do? I have to restrict its use by the Holy Spirit of God working in my life. James says all kinds of animals have been tamed by man. Right? But no one can tame the tongue. It's humanly impossible. In other words, only God can do it. That's what James is teaching us. He says it is a restless evil. He says it is a deadly poison. In the Greek, that literally means it is snake venom. In other words, just a drop or two from your tongue can kill. We can assassinate someone's character by our words. And so James is saying our words can become verbal cyanide. He, he says that it is from the same mouth that blessing and cursing come. So he wants us to understand that our speech controls our character and our character is controlled by how we control our speech. 
This is the most penetrating exposition of tongue management in all the Word of God. We utter thousands of words every day. Little words. Little moments. That bring life or death. You say, well, Pastor, how do words bring death? Well, that's very simple, actually. Our tongues are weapons of mass destruction. Our tongues can cause the death of marriages. Our tongues can destroy families and friendships and careers and reputations and even churches. Am I right? Words can bring death. James says words can also bring life, how words can reconcile, how words can bring peace, how words can make marriages strong and uh, families strong and churches healthy. Our words can give hope. Our words can give eternal life to the lost. It's funny how there are words that are more meaningful than others. That just a simple word can change the whole outlook of a, of a person's heart. Simple words, Miss Ruby, like you shared with me this morning. I appreciate you. I love you. How many of you have ever heard these words? It's benign. Students, you passed. (laughs) It's a girl. Some of our favorite words, no cavities. Thank you. I forgive you. Good morning. Your car is ready. Your child is beautiful. You're right. Church, what will come out of your mouth today? What will come out of my mouth today? Will it be death or life? When you go home and you're with your family, will you have words of life or words of death? When you're on the job or in the classroom, At Walmart, will you have words of life or words of death? Here's what the Word of God is teaching us. It all depends on what's in our heart, right? What are the words of Jesus? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, let's wrap this up. Let's... Apply it. It's really easy to apply. There are 
a million ways that we can apply this incredible passage of Scripture to our own lives. Let me just give you 17 this morning. I'm kidding. I'm just going to give you three or four. Um, Here's a way that we can apply it. Let your lips reflect your identity. Does not the Word of God teach us if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come? Let's let our lips show that we are the men and women of God. Let's, Let's never verbally say something that does not show that we're a new creation. And by the way, as always, this doesn't just apply to -to face-to-face verbal conversation. This applies to every single tweet, every single post on Facebook and Instagram and all the other grams. It applies to everything. Let your lips reflect your identity. Number two, Never forget who paid the price for your words. Right? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it is for our sake that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What did Jesus do? Jesus paid the price for you. So that you could experience the righteousness of Christ. So that you could have the hope of eternal life. So that you could know that you know that you know if I died today, I'm headed for heaven. I'm headed for Jesus. Jesus paid the price for that. And so before a word flows from your mouth, may your heart always remember Jesus Christ paid the price for my words. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit every day to help you manage your mouth. If this is a passage of Scripture that we never outgrow, If Tongue Management 101 is a class that we never exit out of, then let us ask the Holy Spirit daily to manage our mouths. The psalmist said in Psalm 141 verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Let that be your daily prayer. Number four, look for opportunities to give grace. I love the Proverbs where it says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb. They are sweet to the soul and health to the body. How do I do do that? How do I look for daily opportunities to give grace? Well, I wondered if we would just stop right now and think about our conversations over the last month. Is there an individual that the Holy Spirit has already brought to your mind? Is there someone that the Holy Spirit has already brought to your mind that you need to go to today or tomorrow and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I said. And I'm sorry for the way I said it. 
So apologize to someone maybe that you were harsh to. I don't believe that applies to telemarketers, but outside of that, here's another applicable way. Parents, you still have kids in your home. Other parents here whose kids are grown, many times and in many ways, wish those kids were still in their home. Now, I'm I'm thankful. Um, I'm thankful, by the way, that my boys are off the payroll. (laughs) But I sure miss them in my home. I don't know if you're a parent. You, You miss those days. So if you're a mom or a dad and you still have children in your home, take advantage of that opportunity. Sit your kids down and verbally look them in the eyes and tell them what they mean to you. Don't take for granted that they already know that. Because you don't know what they might be dealing with. I I suspect, I'm an old man, but I suspect life as a teenager today is probably harder than it's ever been in the history of this country. And I always try to remember in my mind when I see teenagers that I know to pray for them because I can only imagine how difficult it is to walk the Christian walk. And so parents... Sit down with your kids, if they're small or even if they're teenagers, and tell them what they mean to you. Men, can I challenge you today? Can I challenge you today to think of a creative way to simply say to your wife, I love you. Now, it could be uh, writing a note Um, I would not encourage you to take lipstick and like write it out on the car window because you'll be the one cleaning that up. But find a creative way to say to your wife, I love you. And ladies, find a creative way to express to your husband how thankful to the Lord you are for them. Here's another practical way. How many of you plan to go to lunch today? Plan to eat out. Honestly, you're going to eat out somewhere, some restaurant, some fast food. Listen, even if you're sitting down eating out or driving through the drive-thru, make a point to express thanks and tell them what a good job they're doing. See, there are so many ways that we can apply the Word of God to our lives. But the main thing that we can do is beg the Holy Spirit to so move and work in our hearts, that the words we speak are gracious and kind and gentle and that they reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ who died to redeem your tongue. And so when it comes to tongue management, let's help each other along the way until we are in His 